0: If you would, be opening your Bibles to Romans 10. We're going to notice the first three verses of that chapter tonight as basis for our sermon. I'm going to be reading from the uh, American Standard Version. I don't normally do that. I don't particularly care for it. I uh, I think it's a good version. It's just not my favorite. But I had some trouble locating my Bibles. I was on a little trip and I've misplaced it, so I just had to grab one. Paul writes, talking about his brethren, the Jews. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my supplication to God is for them, that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Have you ever considered the literacy rate in the world? Or more importantly, have you ever considered the illiteracy rate in the world? There are about 7 billion people that inhabit our world, and according to studies, there are about 1 billion of those people who cannot read or write. That's about 26% of the world's population. But what about in our own nation? We're a nation of somewhere between 330 million, maybe 350 million. And we have about 32 million of our own population that cannot read or, and cannot write. That's about 14% of our nation's people. Now, in the United States, when they... Uh, gauge or not, not just in the United States, but I'm going to talk about some, uh, some numbers from our own nation. When literacy, the adult literacy rate is gauged, it is gauged on a pattern of 15 years and older. They consider that the adult literacy rate. The illiteracy rate of our, uh, not the, the, the low literacy rate, the lowest literacy rate of our nation is 31 over 31%. Now that means a person can read and write, but just barely. And that's all they can do. Read the most elemental things and, and be able to write their names. And, and I'm a little bit familiar with that. I had a grandmother, and I loved her dearly, and she could write her name, and that was it. And it was a long time before she could do that. There was a time when she marked an X for her name. And then someone signed their name as a witness that that was her. Well, later on, when I got to be a little older, she did actually learn to write her name. And I can recall staying at her home with her, and and I tried to stay there as often as I could. And she would uh, be making something, and maybe she had gone to get something that particularly I like to eat, or something, maybe some muffin mix. I can particularly remember on this occasion, she had gotten some blueberry muffin mix, and she didn't really know how to make that. She had never made it before. Not that something wasn't from scratch, this was out of the bag, and she couldn't read the directions, so she asked me to read them. Of course, I was young, and I didn't think much about it, so I just read the directions, and she made the muffins. But that's sad, isn't it, that someone has a whole world locked away that they cannot enter. And that's a problem in our nation, literacy. But I don't want to talk about reading and writing tonight. I want to talk about another illiteracy rate Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 10. He talked about his brethren having a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge because they were ignorant. Not ignorant in a a way that he was trying to uh, insult them, but simply they did not have knowledge of God like they should have had. They were illiterate spiritually. I've entitled this sermon tonight, Illiteracy is Fatal. And it is fatal, isn't it? It isn't just a problem in the world, uh, spiritual illiteracy, It it is an increasing problem in the Lord's church today. George Gallup, an American pioneer of survey sampling techniques and inventor of the Gallup poll, he said, Americans revere the Bible, but by and large they don't read it, and because they don't read it, they have become a nation of biblical illiterates. When we go back and we look in Romans chapter 10 and we look at the statement that Paul made regarding his brethren, he said they had a zeal for God. That zeal for God was based in some kind of knowledge. Now they could read. They had the prophecies. But they did not have their zeal according to God's knowledge. They were ignorant of that knowledge. They had not applied it to their lives. But just how bad exactly is the problem of spiritual illiteracy in our nation in our world today? Fewer than half of all adults in our nation can name the four gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many professing Christians cannot identify more than two or three of the Lord's chosen apostles. Sixty percent of Americans cannot name five of the Ten Commandments given to Moses from Mount Sinai. Eighty-two percent of Americans believe that this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, is an actual Bible verse. A survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was delivered by Billy Graham. I'll tell you right now, Billy Graham did not deliver that great sermon. George Barna, the founder of the Barna Group, a marketing research firm specializing in religious uh, behavior, he said that Americans increasingly uh, are becoming biblically illiterate. That's a shame, isn't it? When we think of someone, and I think back on my grandmother, and I think of all the years of her life when she could not read, and which was about 77 years. She died at that age. And I think of those years during her life when her children were going to school and she couldn't help them with their schoolwork. I think of the years when she had her grandson over to her house and it must have been embarrassing for her to ask him to read the directions on how to... Make muffins. How embarrassing that must have been for her. But let me tell you what is more embarrassing. To be spiritually illiterate. That ought to cut to our very hearts. We ought to be so sad over the fact that when school children are asked who Joan of Arc is, that they do think that it was Noah's wife. That's sad, isn't it? I want us to understand tonight a little bit more about the increasing complication that is happening as a result of spiritual illiteracy. I want us to notice first that we ought to have a concern about spiritual illiteracy. That's our first point. Illiteracy has an effect on the person individually, spiritually speaking. I want us to notice what Hosea wrote. Hosea, in his book, Chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. He said, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He said, By swearing, and lying, and killing, and stealing, and committing adultery, they break out, and blood toucheth blood. He goes on to talk about the terrible things that are happening in his land and he goes on down and he says that his people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because they rejected knowledge. It's one thing not to have knowledge, never having had an opportunity to be given knowledge, but it's another thing to reject that knowledge once it's been given. The prophet Amos declared, Amos 8:11 through 13 Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now listen, he's saying, there's going to come a time when you're going to want that, and you're not going to have it. There's going to be a famine. It's not going to be of bread. It's not going to be of water. You're not going to be thirsting, physically speaking. But spiritually, you're not going to have what you need. Why? Does God just simply want to keep that knowledge from us? No, He's talking to these people. He's saying, you have rejected me. And I'm no longer going to talk to you. He says, And they shall wander from sea to sea and from north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. In that day shall the fair virgins and young men faint for thirst. Thirst for the word of God. The revealed message that he sent through his prophets. I want us to notice some of the effects of spiritual illiteracy. Where there is a lack of knowledge of God's Word, people will faint. They're not going to have it. It's not going to be in their lives to strengthen them. In ignorance, they make wrong choices when there's a lack of knowledge. They don't know where to turn to when they stumble in this life. If a person does not know where he is going, How can he ever know how to get there? All things begin to fall apart when there is a lack of knowledge. Without the knowledge of God, a person has no real direction or guidance in life. We're just bumbling through life. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119, 105. He said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He has no true joy or peace in life the person who has no knowledge of God. David said, Psalm one nineteen one eleven, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. And again, later on, he would say in verse 165, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. See, there are more than 7 billion people living on our planet, and the vast majority of them are stumbling through the dark, spiritually speaking, trying to find their way. They don't know where they're going. They certainly don't know how to get there, because they are spiritually illiterate. How many of them do not know God, and how many of them have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Billion upon billion go into eternity and have gone into eternity Hundreds and thousands go into eternity every single day, not having known God and having not obeyed His gospel. Paul warned us about that, didn't he? Notice what he told the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, through 6-9. He says, "...Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels." In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That is where biblical and spiritual illiteracy will take us all, if we allow it. It has an effect on the person individually. But I want us to notice something else Spiritual illiteracy will have an effect on the pew, the church collectively. In almost every congregation of the Lord's people, have you ever noticed, there are always a handful of people who teach classes? That's the way it normally is, isn't it? Churches become weak because there are a lack of teachers. Now, I'm so thankful for the brethren here at White Oak because we have strong men willing to teach classes, strong and faithful women willing to do that. But that isn't the case every single place you go. Everywhere you go, normally, there's one or two people that will teach a class in, in in some grade division. The writer of Hebrews addressed this same problem to those brethren at that time. Notice what he said in Hebrews 5 verse 12. For when... For the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are not become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. After a person has, become, has been converted, after he's given his life to God, it is his or her obligation to teach other people what he or she has found. That's our obligation as Christians. There never has been a time when the work of the church took place sitting in the pew. That has never happened in the history of the world. The work of the church takes place outside the building, for the most part. And that work that does take place inside the building, of teaching classes and things of that nature, ought to be shared by many. The thing is, if we do not put to use that which we have learned, guess what happens? We soon forget it, right? We soon forget it. Countless times a congregation of the Lord's people have been led astray by some fast-talking preacher had a lot of letters after his name. And I love education. But that happened because they did not understand themselves, the oracles of God. And we can't let that happen. Peter warned. He said, 2 Peter 2, beginning with verse 1, He said, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. See, people sneak in. They don't come in and they don't take the pulpit and stand in front of the people and say, now my goal is to turn us astray. I'm trying to take us either to the left or to the right. I'm trying to get out out of the middle of the road where the Lord told us to walk. So I want to corrupt our worship in some way. I've never heard of that ever happening. But they will come in and change certain things. And, and when people are not aware of what God commands, we allow it to happen. We have to be careful about that. It's not possible to detect false teaching when we don't know the true teaching, right? I mentioned this in class some time back. A friend of mine who, who works at a bank said they sent some of their people to uh, Washington, D.C., to the... Uh, where they make the money? Yes, that's it. And they were showing them the money. They wanted them to be able to identify counterfeit money. Not one time while they were were there did they pick up a counterfeit piece of money. They only handled real money. They only looked at real money. They only studied real money. And when you know the truth, you can detect the counterfeit. Well, we've got to know the truth. Paul exhorted Timothy, he said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling properly the Word of God. We can mishandle God's Word. We can take a section of God's Word, lift it right out of its context, and and teach and prove any kind of crazy idea known to man. But when we look at God's Word in its proper context, and we compare it up to the other portions of the Bible, and we look at it and we understand God doesn't contradict Himself, we will understand the truth and we can identify error. We need to be extremely careful because it is our obligations individually and collectively to make sure that we are not spiritually illiterate. And it's our obligation individually and collectively to do our best to help those around us to not be spiritually illiterate. Spiritual illiteracy has an effect on the person. It has an effect on the pew. And let me tell you, it is destroying the public. It is destroying our world, and particularly I feel like it's destroying our own nation. The standards in our country are becoming so skewed that we can't determine what's right or what's wrong. If you ask some people, nothing's wrong. Everything is right. I believe it's just like the days of Isaiah. When the great prophet said this, Isaiah 5 verse 20, he said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. What is wrong with our nation? I've talked with a few people this evening. Of course, this this morning, there was a murder in Nashville at one of the congregations of the Lord's people. Burnett Chapel Church of Christ in Antioch. A young man, 25 years old, walked into the building, murdered a woman in the parking lot, came in and shot six or seven other people. What's wrong with this world? I don't know if he was a Muslim or not. I don't know if he was a part of the Black Lives Matter movement or not. That's been speculated. But he certainly was spiritually illiterate. He had never learned what God wants. He was never taught, obviously, what God wants us to know. And he took the lives of at least one person. Two people are in critical condition right now. Others are being cared for. But our public is being destroyed. When it's okay to slaughter millions of unborn children. Now, they never say, let's abort that baby, do they? What do they say? Let's abort. I hate the word fetus, the French word for baby, infant. But I, I despise that word. It's a child, it's a baby. Job said the Lord knew him in the womb. He was somebody. When it's okay to slaughter millions of unborn children all in the name of convenience, something is wrong with this world. That's backwards thinking, isn't it? All the while, those same people will stand up and decry capital punishment. Now let me tell you, I am a strong proponent of capital punishment. Not because it's a political uh, point of uh, view. I don't care about the p- political part. I believe what God said in Romans chapter 13. He said that it is the right of the those in power, the right of the state to put to death those worthy of death. And someone says, "Well, you want to defend babies, but you want to murder someone. Well, we're we're talking about two different things, right? What's the difference?" they ask. Well, I'll tell you what the difference is. Innocence is the difference. Someone who murders a person, this young man who murdered this woman in cold blood out in the parking lot, he's not innocent. He's worthy of death. He ought to be put to death for that. But what about the innocent children that haven't been born into this world? They've never done anything wrong. That's the difference. Innocence. The Lord authorized us and authorized the state to be able to carry out capital punishment. Romans 13, 1-4. What about someone says, well... Well, the Bible condemns the act of killing, period. I want us to know a few things. There are four times when the Holy Spirit expressly commanded, Thou shalt not kill. Four times in the Bible. Happened in Exodus 20.13, Deuteronomy 5.17, Matthew 5.21, and Romans 13.9. In each case, that word kill, the proper rendition of that word is murder, not kill. Thou shalt do no murder. That's what God commanded The authoritative putting to death of someone is not murder, but instead it is justice. Paul stood before the Sanhedrin council and he said, If I've done anything worthy of death, I won't argue. He understood that God said that was okay. The problem is our culture and our world rewards wickedness and evil. That's the problem, isn't it? Movie stars, music entertainers are making untold amounts of money doing godless things. It just kills me to see someone who has made a fortune in this country to decry the good people of this country, to make fun of those of us who believe in God, those of us who stand for what is right, those of us who truly love our nation when it was the way it ought to have been, It seems that the people of our nation simply can't get enough of them. Do you know in 2011, our then-president, Barack Obama, declared the month of June as National Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender Pride Month? I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that. That hurts me. Our politicians may honor such acts as that, but heaven has always opposed it divorce for any reason, sexual immoralities of all kinds are absolutely destroying our public and it's all because of a lack of knowledge. Not because the knowledge isn't there. Not because the information isn't in the world. The Bible is the most produced book in the world. The most produced book in the world. I I don't know how many copies of the Bible that I have. This one in particular, I think I paid $5 for it. I have untold numbers electronically on my computer of Bible versions. If someone wants to get a hold of, a, of the Bible, they can do it. People look at ungodly lives and they just think of it as business as usual, don't they? The wise man warned this, Proverbs 6, 16-19. He said, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that are swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lie, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. I believe our country as a whole has lost its ability to be ashamed. We've lost our ability to blush. That's what Jeremiah said of his people in Jeremiah 6.15. He asked, were they ashamed? No, they weren't ashamed at all. He said, they can't even blush at the things that they do. Do you believe for one second that young man in Nashville from Murfreesboro, Tennessee is a bit ashamed of what he done today? No, he thinks himself is a hero. He doesn't have the ability to be ashamed. When everyone does that which is right in their own eyes, nations begin to crumble. Judges 21-25. Now we ought to have a great concern for spiritual illiteracy. But here's the good news. There is a cure. That's our second point. How can we go about curing such a terrible problem in this world? Spiritual illiteracy. There's got to be a way. The psalmist said this, Psalm 1, 1 through 3, as we look at it, he said, the truly blessed person, and I'm paraphrasing, feeds upon the Word of God daily. If we are going to cure this problem, we better have daily devotion in our life, had not we? We better spend time in the book. We better know what God has to say about something. Don't have to call the preacher or an elder or your friend. Know what the Bible says. Study the Bible. God told Joshua, as he was about to take the leadership of that great nation Israel, Joshua 1 verse 7, he said, Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now how was it that Joshua was supposed to know what Moses the servant of God commanded? Because Moses taught it and Joshua studied it. And I can guarantee you that he did it in his tent, he did it at night, he did it in the morning, he did it when he had a break. He didn't have to always have a Bible class to go to. Here's what daily Bible reading will do for us. It will bring us closer to God. It will allow us to have an increased understanding of who God is and what He is all about. It will offer strength and comfort and hope to us when things in this world happen. That are not good. That's what will happen when we study the Bible. That's the first step in in stopping spiritual illiteracy. And we better take that. An important part of, of that daily devotion is edification for each other. When we edify each other because we have studied the Bible and we do understand it on our own and we can talk about it, we can have a discourse about it, We can study it. We may not agree on every single thing, but I guarantee you it won't be doctrinal. It won't be doctrinal. We can help edify each other. The writer of Hebrews warned against a lack of daily devotion to God. Notice what he said in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 14. He said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Hebrews 3. When we have the Word of God in our very eyesight, and it's in our hearts and it's in our minds, we are less likely to sin against God. Let me tell you, I, was, I had a close friend of mine who was a fornicator. He had three children, three young children. And he decided that he needed to get a girlfriend. And that just broke my heart. And I asked him one time, I said, I called his name and I said, were you thinking about your three children and your wife while you were fornicating with that woman? I said, if you had been, maybe you wouldn't have done that. Were you thinking about your family when you were throwing them aside? When you weren't acting in love toward them? Were you looking at the pictures in your wallet of your children and your wife while that was going on? Were you doing any of that stuff? Of course he wasn't. But he wasn't daily devoted to his family, and that's what happened. And when we're not daily devoted to God, that same thing will happen. We have to put those things that are important in front of us. Notice what the writer of Hebrews continued in chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. He said, and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How in the world can we help each other get to heaven if we don't edify and exhort one another to do good? Let's encourage each other to be the best we can be and to even be better than that. We have to support each other through the avenue of Bible study. Let's do that. The cure for spiritual illiteracy begins with daily devotion to God's Word. But it must also include diligent direction at home. We better have that. That better be a a characteristic of us. God gave... The responsibility for spiritual training to the family. He gave that to mother and father. Mom and dad, they're in charge of that. Not the school system. Not even the Bible class. Mom and dad are in charge of that. Moses commanded this, Deuteronomy 6, 6-7. through And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. That pretty much covers the whole day, doesn't it? That doesn't mean we sit around studying the Bible 24-7, but when we have opportunity, we study the Bible with our children. We better be looking at them and understanding we have to help them get to heaven. Understanding the importance of the home, Paul made this commandment, Ephesians 6 verse 4, and your fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Now the church setting can aid in that. We need to have good Bible classes when we congregate together, but we cannot rely on that. That's two hours a week, isn't it? Can't rely on that. Often parents in this world are more concerned with the physical attributes of this life than they are the spiritual. We want our children to have a good start in life. We want to send them to school. We don't want them to have a lot of debt when they get out, but do we look at our children and try our best to give them a spiritual start in life? Are we trying to keep them from being spiritually illiterate? What would we think of the parent who doesn't make the child eat healthy meals? What would we think of the parent that doesn't make the child bathe on a daily basis or brush their teeth or get into bed at a decent hour? What if we just let them eat cotton candy and ice cream three meals a day, stay up as long as they want to. If you want to go to school, good. And if you don't, that's even better. What would we think of that person? But how often do we think of the person who doesn't have a Bible study with their children on a daily basis? We better be doing that. We give give little attention. A lot of people do to that aspect of life. The Lord chastised the Pharisees for not paying attention to the things that matter. You remember what He said, Matthew 23, 23? He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees! He called them hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but you've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. He said, Don't stop doing what you're doing. But pay attention to that which is more important. Look, let's give our children a good start in life if we're able to do that. Let's send them out into the world not having a big school debt if we're able to do that. Let's not stop doing that. But let's pay attention to that which is more important. The cure for spiritual illiteracy begins with daily devotion. We better have diligent direction by parents in the home. But it also must include being dependable in our duty. It better include that. Preachers and teachers are not only required to teach the Word, they're required to live by it. You can't have someone preaching the Word of God living like the devil. How's that going to help, right? How am I going to help someone get to heaven when I can't get there myself? Remember what Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 4, 16, He said, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. How could Timothy save those people who listened to him if he wasn't saved? He said, Timothy, watch after yourself first and take as many people with you as you can. Every congregation, should expect the one preaching and those teaching to be men and women of the book, not men and women of their favorite opinion. It's the Word of God that must be taught, right? Not what Rick thinks or what anyone else does. A sermon or a Bible class cannot consist merely of personal stories and, and funny jokes. Have you ever been traveling and go to a congregation? where really what you got was an after-dinner speech. The guy may have been a great speaker, but a poor Bible student. Illustrations are needful, and I think they're helpful. But I can remember a long time ago, a faithful preacher told me, he said, illustrations and stories ought to be the windows of the house that lets the light in, not the house itself. If an evangelist cannot preach, book, chapter, and verse. Get rid of that guy. Find someone that can. He's not worthy of his hire. He needs to be doing something else. And, for the, and foremost, he needs to stop harming the Lord's church. I think it is of grave importance for our nation to become spiritually literate. It's our duty to help that to happen, and it has to start at home. It has to start at the local congregation, and we've seen how it can destroy the person, it can destroy the pew, and it is absolutely destroying the public today. We've got to stop that somehow. We understand the cure but uh, the concern, but we also know what the cure is, right? We simply have to do it, and it begins with this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10:17. If you've never obeyed the gospel, don't continue to be spiritually illiterate. Take up the the mantle. Take up the fight. Be added to the Lord's church and join the fight. That's what God wants. It's an honorable endeavor. Faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, and faithful living. Maybe you've done that and you've become unfaithful. That can all end right now become literate in the Scripture. Understand that if you repent of your sins, you make the confession in whatever way necessary, whether publicly or privately to God. Ask Him to forgive you, and He will. And join the rest of us in the fight to get to heaven. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.